can't handle the truth. No, Jack, you can't handle the truth. See, the truth is that All Things Film offers the best value in free movie podcasts on the internet. That's right, free, as in it costs you nothing. Daily Grindhouse, Films and Swearing, a movie podcast. It was only a pound. La La Film, Maths Movie Side UK, Podcast on Fire, and of course, Film Exploitation, the All Things Film podcast. All free and all available online on iTunes, on the podcast app, on Stitcher, on TuneIn Radio, direct or from www.allthingsfilm.co.uk. As far back as I can remember, I always wanted to be a gangster. See, as far back as I can remember, I always wanted to be a podcaster. All Things Film, the premium film movie podcast feed on the net. Welcome to Watch Korean Cinema 14 on General's Sun and Going by the Book. And uh, for our regular mix of uh, something old and something newish slash personal favorite of um, myself, uh, we turn to uh, Gotten Help, uh, picking one of these, obviously. We turn to, first of all, in context, the General's Sun from 1990, the first of three examinations that the filmmaker made on brawling gangster turned politician and in the second half cast away on the moons jung jay young is an excellent police officer who's also an excellent robber as it turns out and this all happens in ra he chants going by the book from 2007 this is not so much a personal favorite but a recommendation way back by rufus duram watched it and it became a personal favorite so i've, I've, I've uh, let uh, you know that already but regardless my name is kennedy and with me is angle celluloids paul quinn the premium site in the uk for korean cinema and interviews and reviews and i'm saying that sarcastically but i also mean it it's a premium site and I, I i like your dedication and i like having you on again paul quinn so say hi thank you very much ken um sarcastically and or not um i'm paul hi everybody um, I have run Hangle Celluloid. I guess we can do the whole. You can find me at HangleCelluloid.com. I'm on Facebook at Facebook.com slash Hangle Celluloid. On Twitter at Twitter.com slash Hangle Celluloid. Um, they all have little different feeds, I guess, from each other. But, you know, go to the site, have a look. Um, we're going to be talking a lot about in contact tonight. Um, there's an interview there. We'll talk a little bit more later. But glad to be here. How's uh, the uh, last half, second half of uh, 2014 shaping up for Hangul, Celluloid, um, busy, 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 or new new ideas, new projects, or what's going on? It's pretty much just getting to that point where you know it's going to kick off. I mean, the last week's been pretty intense, sort of doing all the, they've been announcing what's sort of what's coming at the Korean Film Festival, and you know, I'm trying to catch up with stuff that I've done or half done prior to the thing going off and figuring out how and who I'm going to speak to, et cetera, et cetera. So the next couple of months are going to be insane. On a, on a personal level, I guess, I really want to boost actress interviews. I think it's the one, the one area of the site that's a bit lacking, you know, you know. <laughs> I've forgotten how many directors, how many actors. I can tell you there are only two actresses on there, and 
you just think that's not enough. I want more, but there. It does a healthy like um, uh, self-examination and even self-criticism to, and therefore you create yourself a new goal in the process. Like uh, totally, totally. You know, and they are. Let's face it. As as far as talent goes, actresses are three million times more difficult to get in touch with. Heaven knows why, but you know, I guess it's just one of those things. So that. For the end of this year, start of next year, I want to really focus on that and get a load of big name actresses, as well as the director stuff, as well as you know we've been doing cinematographers and and music stuff as well, and I like that it gives something different to it. So it's all it's all going along nicely. I just wish there were more hours in the day, as we all do. So before we get into it, let's do some brief contact information, and this is what's Korean cinema. You know, I, I rarely explain it, so I'm going to do it right, right, right now. That name, what's Korean cinema, is based on me being a snotty little prick, <laughs> uh, because way back in the uh, podcast on fire network history, we uh, on the regular show podcast on fire, we talked of uh, a Korean movie, a, a lost movies watched kind of thing, and uh, so someone asked me, you know, have you seen whatever movie it was? And I snottily replied, Korean cinema. What's Korean cinema? And, and it was, you know, it was merely a few years ago. But it was one of those moments. Like I am clever, but in retrospect, I was kind of crappy to do. But, but, but here we are. Like that—that that was a cool little name. What's Korean cinema? That—that's a question that you can throw out uh, there, and we're here to uh, answer, you know, as best we can. It's all snowballed into something positive, where I discovered what Korean cinema. That's not saying. I had a crappy view of it before. It was just an in-the-moment kind of snotty thing to do, and I apologize for it. But um, you know, I'm making up for it by being here and uh, helping out, helping out, highlighting old and new. So uh, I, I don't think I'm going to hell necessarily, right, Paul? No, I don't. I don't think so. And I'll let you off just because this has turned into something that's really cool. Even even last week, I was at some event or other, and I was talking to an Asian film fan, and they essentially said the same thing. They were like, "Well." You know, so what about Korean cinema? And I was like, what? So you, you're lucky when you said it. I wasn't actually standing in front of you because <laughs> we'd still be staring at each other now. But it's turned into something great. It'll be a fight in the rain, you know, nowhere to hide style. <laughs> totally, totally. You know, but, you but you would just the, pummel me and I'll, I'll be in a fetus position and crying within five seconds. Well, you know, I think I think we could. We could fight on that as well because I'm a bit of a coward. But there you go. <laughs> All right, so that's the history, and uh, we are on podcastonfire.com. This show is available along with a few other shows and bonus episodes on there, and uh, you can email us uh, if you have any feedback, questions, or what have you. Podcastonfire at googlemail.com. Uh, we have uh, some presences on Facebook. Uh, Facebook.com slash pof network is our page that you can page that you can click and like. Every tenth like generates a little bit of charity uh, out of our own pockets so that's just a, a thing we can do and uh, for you users and uh, likers uh, you um in a complete win-win situation because you you click if you like you support us uh, and uh, it generates a piece of charity without you having to do more than that so thank you very much it has uh, it has worked I, I initiated that little program 
just because to see if it kind of worked to, to spark our own profile and to send their money uh, to a, a few different places. And it has worked, so thank you very much. And uh, we're also on, you can follow the updates on that page, but you can um, uh, interact with us mainly in the Facebook discussion group. Uh, type in Podcast on Fire Network in the Facebook search bar or follow the link in the About section on the page I just described. Follow our tweets and tweet us, uh, twitter.com forward slash podcast on fire. I run a website mainly focused on Hong Kong, Taiwanese, and uh, ninja exploitation cinema, Godfrey Ho type cinema, at SoGoodReviews.com. And I also do little spoken video reviews, little mini commentaries on movies at SleazyKVideo.com. Not just Sleazy movies, but obviously the mix of uh, the Taiwanese stuff and Hong Kong stuff and the ninja stuff. So uh, check it out. And I tweet at Twitter.com forward slash SoGoodReviews. What's Korean Cinema is available on iTunes. Rate and subscribe, and if you have the time, and if you if you are an iTunes user, know your way around iTunes, please leave a small written comment that will act perfectly fine as a review, and it will certainly help us to get some exposure. And finally, if you don't have the space on your devices, if they're filled with podcasts and photos and music, you can stream us. We're available on Stitcher Radio. They have a website, but the smoothest way to listen to What's Korean Cinema is through their application, available to the iPad, iPhone, and Android. And once you're in Stitcher, type in What's Korean Cinema. That will get you the latest results, and you can also add us to your favorites. And Paul already did his plugs, hangolcelluloid.com, so you're all aware of it. Uh, you'll get to hear the plug later on as well. But now we move on to the rundown of what's to come during this episode, because we have a few segments. Uh, so starting points, running times for these segments will be noted in the show post, and you can obviously access that in your podcast uh, applications as well. So the, um, the starting point of each segment is noted there. So first up is The General's Son, our examination of that movie. There will be some background on the real-life character it is depicting. Uh, there will also be a biography and discussion on director Im Kwan Tech followed by our review of the movie. Uh, there will be a break after that, um, a small musical break, and we'll return with the Going By the Book segment, uh, which will contain, first of all, a bio on writer Jiang Jin, and we'll also refresh our listeners on awesome actor Jung Jae Young, a little bio on him. And after that, we end the show with our review of the film. So it's a uh, packed, uh, packed uh, two hours or above. But hey, kids. Both these movies, by the way, below two hours, like not even one hour, 59 minutes, but way below two hours. So it's an unusual Korean cinema in that regard already. So do, do, do you think that's a really like tired old joke? Like, or is it like a valid like criticism of Korean cinema that it's that it sometimes runs way too long, you know, needlessly extended at points? So, you know, what's your general view on that, Paul? It's the most topical joke you could make. Because I'm not trying to be like uh, immature and silly. I'm I'm on, I'm actually quite interested. I've heard that there, there's there, there's sometimes that pressure put on filmmakers to, you know, be a bit over two hours because that will generate um, uh, you know more showings and more people will show up for a longer movie or some crap like that. But uh, yeah, there there really is a number of directors I've spoken to who have you know in the middle of just talking about it, some film or other will say and you know I, I was done at an hour and a half and they made me take it to two hours 15 and that's why that was there that's why that was there and they're not needed but I was forced um it's it's it never gets old you know and there are I mean there are golden age stuff that you go back and you think wow that's nearly two hours long mm. but you know uh, we're going to talk about 
Jung Jae Young later on, um, you take his his film Moss. It's 168 minutes. Holy hell! Is is that excessive or valid in the case of that movie? Uh, excessive, massively excessive. Um, I'm a huge fan of his. It's one of my least favorite of his films, and I had to sit three times. It took me to get through it because it's just so so long. Um, and stuff coming out this year. Same thing. It's all two hours, two hours ten, two hours fifteen. So it's not going to change, and the joke just stays topical. Yeah. I, I, I think uh, I've, I've, I'm blanking on the name of the movie. Now. I have seen it. Uh, uh, what was the name of the follow-up movie that uh, the guys who the guy who did the chaser and the cast from the chaser did? What was the follow-up movie? Oh, called? Yellow Sea. Right. I saw one of the versions of that, which I think is a little bit shorter than the Korea movie, but still like 220. That was perfectly fine because that was a pretty pretty good movie. Uh, I didn't feel it, it was excessive. So kids, it it's it's warranted sometimes, but uh, it's uh, topical and valid as Paul uh, has described, and uh, there, there is a reason for it. I, I can't really make up make out the logical reason because you would think like shorter movies, multiple showings, but uh, I don't know. Really, <laughs> um, I'm not the one to try and untangle this mystery, I suppose. But um, it, it's just one of those things that's become so embroiled, and you know, it's almost you think they're investing money, therefore they want their money's worth. Mm-hmm. It's going to be up on the screen for a long time. Yeah, you know, let's let's just eke it out. And sometimes, as you say, Yellow Sea was so intense that it works. Things like Moss, you just you end up realizing that your legs are hurting and difficult one, but but not in the case of these movies. I mean, one is the older, so maybe the norm wasn't a long movie. But um, going by the book is uh, is a newer movie, and it's not even uh, close to two hours. So you go. But first of all, we'll talk General's Son from 1990 and uh, some background on the movie and the reality behind it. First, it's a series of three movies based on the life of Kim Do Han, which was the son of uh, General Kim. Uh, J.W.A. I don't know how to pronounce that. <laughs> uh, Chin, who, who was a Korean freedom fighter against Japanese against the Japanese in the first half of the 1900s, uh, Kim, the son, led the Jongro street gang during the Japanese occupation of Korea and was famous for being a great fist fighter at the time. And his status was so legendary and maybe exaggerated because it was rumored he could defeat Bruce Lee if he had the chance. Uh, so it was around that time, obviously, when Bruce Lee was globally uh, globally um, famous and what have you. Uh, Kim did his best, apparently, to paint himself and fighting skills uh, highly, though, you know, saying that his brand of fighters at the time could lift cows, that he had <laughs> incredible jump. It's, it's not in the movie, actually. I would love for that dialogue to be in the movie, but it isn't. Uh, but he also claimed he had incredible... Uh, jumping skills, you know, quick uh, and quickness in his fighting and what have you. But being he was he was a leader and but a leader that had great skill in him. You know that was never in question. His fighting skills were top notch, a great brawler, and he took down a number of fighters, as, as the movie shows, obviously. And he earned the nickname of Ippon, meaning one full point in Japanese, due to him being able to knock out in, opponents in one single blow. So this is the what the first movie kind of covers: so his uh, rise in the gang and. Uh, 
the fame that he achieved in not just within the gang but uh, even his fame traveled to Japan and eventually in the 1950s um, he joined uh, politics uh, and, and now I'm thinking about of it uh, either the 1950s is wrong uh, the research or the Bruce Lee thing is uh, something he said way later in life you know during his politics days uh, political days so um, uh, because obviously Bruce Lee didn't break out as a, an on-screen fighter until the beginning of the 70s so uh, you never know. But anyway, he entered politics, uh, specifically the Singman uh, the Singman re-established Liberal Party, and Singman Ri was the first Korean president. Uh, he served between 1948 and 1960. So uh, that's kind of the short uh, uh, short uh, bio in terms of his uh, political career. Uh, through media, Kim Do Han has received and become somewhat of a folk hero. His status has been elevated to that through, obviously, this movie trilogy that Im Kwon Tech directed, but uh, there's also, you know, multiple TV biographies and some other uh, media that I'll mention in a little bit. You know, just in general, have you, um, in, you know, are you a history buff to that extent that you've known about Kim Do-Han and researched about Kim Do-Han through your, like, Korean cinema fandom, or what did you know uh, before, uh, before doing this show? I pretty much knew who he was and who he was related to and the fact that he moved from being a fighter into politics, et cetera, et cetera, because you just, his name comes up and his name keeps coming up. It was a very cursive look, really, until I started going into sort of in context stuff and you think, actually, there's a lot more to this. And looking into the background, looking into what his father did, um, the whole righteous armies thing, it's really interesting, and part of me wishes there'd been, you know, a take on that as well, almost, and making it into a four-piece thing. Who knows, you know, maybe somebody at some point will go back into it. Um, just on a very, very separate note, before we did this, as you know, I nipped into town and ended up going to a Korean restaurant. And just because this was in my head, I, I sort of know a little waiter he's sort of 25 year old he's always oh what you doing what you doing and i sort of went well i'm, I'm doing a podcast on general sun and he went oh, oh kim Duan. and i went what you're what 20 you're in your 20s and and you know about him and he went yeah we all wanted to be him when we were kids we wow. were shown general sun when we were in school and you just <laughs> think you know this is what if he's 24 now that's it's less than 10 years ago and they're still being taught about him. They're still growing up wishing they were him rather than wishing they were Bruce Lee. Hopefully in a rational way, they wish to be him, you know what I mean? Rather than we want to fight and kick the crap out of people, you know? Pretty much, and depending what side of Korean cinema you watch, we'll decide which element you think is right. You know, I, it just it shocked me that, one, he knew who he was, and two, he was so excited. Someone was going to be talking about him when this is... You know, it's it's not far off 100 years ago. So that said a lot to me. So, yeah, big name, still a big name. This wasn't the sole movie, as we mentioned. The General Sun was the first in a trilogy of movies released in 1990, 1991 and 1992, respectively, all directed by Im Quantech. And at least the first movie, because we're not doing the other ones, I didn't look into the box office, but... The, the first movie was a highly attended movie in Korea and scored a Best New Actor Award for lead Park Sang-min at the Grand Bell Awards in 1991, and that is the Korea's Oscars, the, the, the biggest ceremony. And uh, 
he's obviously, as Paul just described, you know, still in 2014, he's, he's such a regarded character in the eyes of the people. And General Sun was not the first time Kim Dohan's life had made it to popular media. Other examples include the 1975 movie that is referred to in English as Righteous Fighter Kim Dohan, which might be a translation rather than an official English title, because I've seen it being referred to as the true story of Kim Dohan as well. And uh, this was directed by a director called Kim Hyo-chun. And uh, even cartoons have featured, uh, has featured uh, tales of uh, Kim's life. So, uh, and, and you wonder, like, uh, the general son, is it, like, considered it, there's no need for another take? It's so good, it's so comprehensive that no one else is going to touch Kim's, uh, Kim's life? Or has, do you know, as a matter of fact, of any movie adaptations or TV adaptations since? Not really, I think. He did it the best that could be done. He did everything that needed to be done. And as we'll talk about as we go through, General Sun, even aside from its actual storyline, played a big part in changing Korean cinema forever to mm-hmm. what it is. You know, we, we've started on what's Korean cinema. And if you ask somebody who's seen just Park Chan-wook's films, they'll tell you a different story from somebody who is a fan of Kim Ji-young, you know, so the general son actually switched what Korean cinema would become. Um, so it's it's massively important. And and, and really, could they like uh, strike up popularity during release as well? It didn't seem like it was a slow builder and became respected over time. And really like um, Kim Do-han, People wanted to see in a movie about Kim Dohan, and maybe, as we'll talk of this as a segue, maybe in context, uh, name had something to do with it. Very much so. Very much so. Like a director could be of a draw as well, and uh, there will be three movies uh, made by the same director, you know, three years in a row. So there's, uh, I'm sure the, the the excitement was drummed up um, about the real life character and the guy who directed all of this, and uh, in context. Ignorant as I am, but I don't watch a lot of Korean cinema. I didn't really know of his, uh, of his status and legacy. But this is one of the big guns out of Korea's film industry ever. You know, and his directorial count as of 2013 was 101 films. It's now moved up to 102. Really? Yeah, yeah. Indeed. yeah. Uh, it's a 2014 film as well, and his hundredth was in 2007. And uh, Im Kwon has enjoyed awards and praise and box office success in his native Korea, and is said to be a key figure in the shaping of Korea's cinematic image internationally. And uh, Im Kwon first step into the entertainment industry came through a move to Seoul in 1956, where director Jong Chang Hwa gave him room and board and got him job a job as a production assistant. And now that name, uh, Jong Chang-hwa, might be familiar to Hong Kong cinema fans because this Korean director enjoyed a stint at Shaw Brothers and he directed classics such as King Boxer, aka Five Fingers of Death in 1971. And this was obviously, it's a great classic, um, but it also is one of those that reached, it was the first Kung Fu movie that was widely distributed in the West as Five Fingers of Death. It was a Warner Brothers pickup, so it got the exposure that way. And uh, through uh, Jong's recommendation, Im Kwon graduated to director and debuted in 1962 with Farewell to the Duman River. 
And as you well know, Paul, this is an efficient filmmaker. He's a commercial filmmaker, appreciated commercially, and he can do commercial films as well. And he was able to make at one point as many as eight movies per year, which obviously added to the quota for domestic uh, pictures that was set by the government. Certainly, he uh, he helped uh, to add to that um, to to that number to that list uh, at some point. And uh, as he enjoyed the end of his second decade as director, a more artistically aware creator began rearing, rearing its head, starting with the 1978 movie Genealogy, a.k.a. The Family Tree. But also a distinct turning point came with the 1981 movie Mandala, and critics became begin rather regarding this once commercial director as an art house director, and uh, that that that's not a like a snide remark or anything. This was their take on him now, and it ex- kind of increased his, his exposure internationally at various film festivals because, as we all know, art house is uh, popular in terms of. Um, it's easy, not easy, but you, you, you'll you get festival play with Art House. It's not that narrow of a genre or a style, if you will. Just spontaneous question. Would it be fair to say up until that point or, or like from, from his starting point in his career, he, he did a lot of commercial movies or, or did you get the impression that he was experimenting from the start and up until, let's say, 1981? There, there were flashes of him trying new things but it was incredibly commercial as you say up until sort of mandala like melodramas comedies that kind of thing yeah yeah and just really easily accessible stuff whereas after after the 80s or into the 80s he really started looking at social aspects you know depictions of women abuse the the difficulty of women being less important than men, females being less important than the male sons, and he got into a real feminist trip, and from there it went into art house traditionalism, and he mixed it all with with history as well, you know, never mind the general son, you look at virtually anything he's done, and you can you can take his career through as a history of Korea as well as Korean cinema. And also, as my research indicated, they also uh, had um, looks at Korea's cultural identity in current times. And uh, movies on that theme includes 1993's uh, Sopi Onje, uh, there's no English title apparently, and also 2000's Chun Yang, Chun Huang Yang, sorry for the mispronunciation, but anyway, both of which concentrate on the traditional musical art of Pansori which is described as musical storytelling performed by a vocalist and a drummer. And despite that dramatic, seemingly specialized subject matter, both, uh, well, rather, especially the first, uh, uh, Sopionje, was a commercial success. It was apparently the first domestic film to draw over a million viewers in Seoul alone, which is kind of interesting that it sounds like a specialized subject. I'm sure it's a known subject, but a movie about a, a musical art doesn't, you know, signal, you know, it's the Avengers of this year, you know, <laughs> let's all go. <laughs> but, it, but it's fantastic that, that, that people are interested in it and... Uh, it's. Uh, I, I can't really explain it. Um, if I ever see it, I can probably see it. Maybe clearer that. I, I get it. I get it. But I. I hereby now command you to go over the, the next week 
and have a look. I think it's on Coffa. I'm not sure. I, I, it may well be. I'm, in fact, I'm I'm almost convinced it is. Go and watch Sopianje because it's it's quite possibly my favourite Imkorn Tech film. It is absolutely astonishing. Where is it a very easily accessible, easily con- and conveyed film, um, or very much so? I mean, you, you've got you've essentially got three layers. You've got traditional Korea disappearing while modernization takes over, so you've got traditional music being used to almost hold Korea together, and you've got the story of a young female singer moving forward to become the greatest singer in the world, or more to the point being pushed by her family into that position and the sacrifices she has to make. I mean, it's a difficult, hard-hitting film, but it is astonishing. And the lead actress, whose name slips my mind, is absolutely astounding. She's phenomenal. Um, The first five minutes, you may well find Pansori a little bit difficult, Mm-hmm. To cope with musically, if you're not used to it, I guarantee you within half an hour, you will be elevated. You'll be in a trance because it's just absolutely astonishing film. Phenomenal. All right. I take your advice very seriously because I respect your views. So I'm sure it'll play well with me. And it's good that it's on Kofa. Again, the Korean Film Archive on YouTube is, um, is where we saw General Sun. So that's uh, it's serving as... Uh, uh, viewing, material, viewing material for us and it's all obviously official and legal to watch uh, listeners so if you do want any more ranting from me on it the review's on the site go have a look excellent and we'll link to it in the show post therefore because you've mentioned it it goes into the link section it works that way <laughs> it's magic uh, at any rate, uh, in context, uh, Korea even intersects with Chilsu and Mansu director Park Kwan Su in the late 80s and uh, I mentioned that movie because we covered it on this show um, in Quantec is recognized as one of the founding figures of the Korean New Wave, as well as uh, Park Kwan-soo. Um, Park even if he's not considered a founding figure, he's certainly the one that really um, made the New Wave uh, what it is today. Obviously, Chilsu and Mansu is such a good and important film. And uh, they both and, and a few other filmmakers obviously helped... Um, you know, on Korean cinema, it's elevated and acclaimed status uh, around about that time. So they're very much important figures. And as late as 2013, the man is still working and his legendary legendary status has even been recognized in the form of a museum opening up and um, maybe not the museum opening up, but there's an exhibition dedicated to his work, which can be found in Busan on the uh, Dongseo University uh, Centrum City campus. You, you obviously got a little bit about in contact, but let's uh, really bring it back to the basics here. You know, in your own words, what does in contact mean to you, and how would you describe his importance and continual legacy? And finally, because um, I think that's important too, it's such a massive career. Where should viewers start in your estima- estimation? So uh, the floor is yours, Paul. In terms of his importance, we, we talk every every podcast we do, we talk about a director and say he's important because of this, that, and the other. Imkwon Tech is the most important Korean film director there is. Full stop. Without him, Korean cinema today would not be Korean cinema today. Um, if you, for example, take The General Sun, as any of you are going to go and watch it, 
if it wasn't in color and you didn't know it was made in 1990, you could almost feel that it was it was golden age classic Korean cinema. Mm-hmm. It it does feel old school. It feels very standard in the way that Korean cinema had been up until that point. And the same goes for General Sun Two, General Sun Three. They're they're of a a type that fits with the golden age, which was years before. Because of its success, budgets went up. Imquantech was able to start looking at different ways to to do cinematography, to to look at scenes, to be a director. And if you if you jump just to I think it's 1993, three or four, to Sub and you'll see it fits much more with the new wave, the 2000 films, the the old boy, the sympathy for Lady Vengeance, the 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 things that the new wave that everybody considers what Korean cinema is. And it's because of Imkwon Tech that all the people that are cited as the Korean wave people, Park Chan-uk, Kim Ji-un, Bong Joon-ho, they carried on what he was doing, but he'd already started it. After the General Sun, he created the Korean new wave, full stop. I, I can't stress enough how important it is. And as I say, if you watch General Sun, and Sapyonje or Chungyang, which were, you know, just three years later, and they looked like old versus new. It's 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 astonishing the difference. Is he um, whenever he comes out with a movie nowadays? Is it um, is it a big affair in your estimate, uh, estimation, um, or does he kind of get buried underneath uh, other popular directors for better? Or Never. Worse? He he always stands out. His new film, which is the Korean title's Wajang. The English titles "Revivre" or the French title, sort of "Live Live Again." It's the story of an old man who falls in love with a much too young woman. Oh, contro- controversial subject in his old years. Yeah, it's the whole. You know, he still goes for taboo Korean things, but it's it's going to be the closing film at this year's London Korean Film Festival. And when it was announced to the press at the launch. Everybody broke into a round of applause. That's how important. I mean, yeah, you can say, yeah, they're going to focus on Kim Ki Duck here, there, and everywhere. They're going to have this big film. They're going to have that big film. We're going to finish with Imquantech's new film. Round of applause. That's how important Imquantech is. I'm I'm glad to hear that because it uh, in 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 popular culture it is easy to be buried underneath. And I'm not pointing any fingers. I'm, I'm talking in general where with musical movies, it's easy to be buried underneath mediocrity. You know, even if you're an important and legendary maker of stuff. But I'm glad that Imquantech still, you know, when he comes out, it's you know, the media comes out too and supports it uh, rather than the latest uh, flashy, poppy, 3D, whatever it is. Totally, you know totally. I mean? And I, I think a lot of that, yeah, is the reputation he's had, but that reputation comes from quality. You know, his his films, his, he releases a film, you need to see it. I, I can tell you straight away, I'm going to adore Reviver because I know what M. Quintac does. I know how insightful he is. I know what a great director he is. I know what a great storyteller he is. It's just, he's phenomenal, you know. And I have to say, you know, I have met him. (laughs) Blow my trumpet, but he's the most humble man you could ever meet. Such a funny gentleman. 
and, and still seemingly uh, got his health and uh, obviously directing uh, requires a lot out of you and uh, he's still going there. I mean, no one is uh, demanding that he puts out movies, but he, that's what he wants to do seemingly. He's a creator who wants to create and, uh, you know, 102 and counting. It's not over, people. It's not over. Very much so. Very much. Long may continue. So if you were to pick like three movies like randomly like or spontaneously that you know where where should people start if they want to start examining in Quantech? There's a lot of places you can start, but 102 movies people. But where should they start, Paul? In your estimation? I guess depending on on what Korean cinema you're used to, I would give you two different suggestions. If you're into all the the current stuff, all the newer sort of deals and you're not really aware of golden age stuff then go for Sopyeonje Chungyang straight away Chiswaseon which is also known as Painted Fire they'll let you see what Imquantek is they'll let you see how beautiful he is and they'll let you see what he's like in terms of contemporary Korean cinema if you're aware of Kim Ki Young if you're aware of the golden age and if you like older classic korean cinema i'd go very much towards surrogate mother um mandala really that sort of thing i guess tieback mountains again you're going to get very much social things but it's going to be much more old school than the the later deal so if if you if you're aware of golden age cinema and it doesn't shock you to go oh this is really you know, old school, then go for Surrogate Mother, Tybeck Mountains, etc., etc. If you like the newer stuff, if you like the things that are coming out 2013, 2014, go to Sopyeonje, they'll blow your mind. As I say, Sopyeonje is easily one of my favourite, in context, but one of my favourite Korean films. Um, I, can't, I can't recommend it highly enough. And if we're being fair, like uh, I'm sure you've seen some of the so-called commercial work that was early on before the late uh, 70s and what have you. I mean, it, it, are they are, are they more empty movies that you personally think are disposable, or, or is there something there like leading up to the change there in in the late 70s? No, they're very much there. There's always something worth seeing, whether they're commercial or not. I mean, if you take, I don't know, things like a, a Wife Retrieved, which was Mid mid sixties, I guess. Um, you've got a really quite commercial movie, but it's got little inklings of social this, social that, and it just it, it it works. Whether it's commercial or not, it works as a great film. So just because they were commercial, don't knock off his sixties and seventies stuff. Um, it's just more easily accessible and less unpredictable than his later stuff it doesn't mean it's any less good that's a fantastic love letter to the director and let's move on to the review of the general's son and for my short opinion uh, it's uh, it feels like it might not be outstanding again i say it feels like it might not be outstanding when you're watching it but this local turf war and development of the character of Kim Do-han is immersive and feeling immersed in this world, in this movie, that's a good grade. So it's not one of those like, uh, you know, when you watch movies like, it's a random pick and I, I, 
when I say random picks nowadays, for some reason I think of Goodfellas. But Goodfellas is a movie like, this is going to be great. Oh boy, this is going to be awesome. And all all the time, it's awesome. Here it's like, okay, I gotcha. It's interesting. It's immersive. And it takes, for me it took, like, without spoiling it, the final image to kind of just, nice full stop. That was good. You know, uh, but I didn't doubt the movie. You know what I mean? It's uh, It's just one of those, like, See it all the way through, then make up your mind because it might not show all its cards until the end. So there you go. Uh, it, that that was slightly long opinion, but for your short opinion, uh, the general sum, what would you say about it in short? Uh, I, I know you like it, but uh, the floor is yours, despite. I'm not necessarily going to disagree with you. Um, I think that last little section, as you mentioned, that that just sort of says, "All oh, right, okay," um, could have been done with being referenced a little bit more earlier on so you get a little bit of context because from an outside point of view it's understandable that you go in and you go this is okay yeah and and you you don't necessarily follow the character as as much as you might if you were in korea and knew who he was and knew everything about him and we're all almost watching it as a fictional documentary um i like it i i love it in fact but I agree with you in terms of it's a very watchable, interesting movie that becomes immersive rather than the this is phenomenal from the first second. It's it's a it's a journey. Um, it's worth going on. And and it, and it's the start of a journey too. Again, it's a mere, uh, and it, it ends at again we won't spoil it, but it ends at a, not a cliffhanger but a suitable point. He, he's gotten to this point in his life, and I assume part two kind of opens up with. Uh, not opens up, but I assume parts two will focus uh, focus a lot on his po- political career. Uh, do you know that, or, or, do, or is it like ha- half gangster, half poli- politics? Or? It's pretty much the move from the tail end of gangsterism into political setups, and it goes through to the third one, which is his final sort of deal, I guess. It's his full story in the three movies. I'm not going to give anything away to anybody who hasn't seen the other ones either. Um, but it's taken as a three-piece. It's his entire life. And this first instance is just him moving from being a good thug to moving away towards what will become a political career, even though it doesn't actually get there. And it's an interesting movie because uh, if you're not aware of his journey, then you, you start, when you see him for the first time, you don't know if he is this uh, thug that police has all is right to you know to uh, to hassle you know if he's needlessly defiant or not but and i like that when i don't have all the cards with me you know what i mean like he could be at this point in his young age just a snotty kid you know but he uh, i think it's immersive because we're kind of shown early that Kim Dohan is actually good-natured. And, uh, you know, it sounds funny, but the scene that shows his good nature is when he um, he finds the uh, kid in the cinema who's been hiding in the latrine, uh, and he takes him out of the cinema because he smells, and then he, he, he washes him off uh, and uh, to- gives him pointers in terms of how to do the same thing next time. You know, he's kind, he's giving pointers, and that would be a through line in terms of his 
leadership to. Um, so it's not this, uh, it's not the character that has to be taught the lesson to be good. You know, he's, uh, there's well-established traits there, which uh, is, um, makes it immersive and uh, makes him, um, you, you begin to like him early, which is uh, a yeah. good, good key to buying in Quantec to, uh, in terms of us being immersed in the movie. It's an interesting point you brought up that uh, if this was black and white, it could have been made 20 years ago or what have you. And this is not a retro decision by Inquantech or anything. This is how he makes the movie. And I, that's how I, one of my main like appreciations, appreciations of the movie that throughout the movie, there's a very earthy, grounded street feel. And that is because a lot of it is set in genre and a lot of it is achieved by this still camera that is merely floating with certain action elements and uh, mm. whether they're dialogue or it's so but there's no push-ins there's no flashy crap here and i think you know on a personal level if looking at if looking at global cinema i think it's important to actually mention this because we live in an era where a still camera seems rarer more rare and rare as each year goes on nowadays everything needs to be flashy and few directors can be flashy again martin scorsese mm. he can be flashy because he's he's got that down but uh in this movie in contact isn't and that that leads me to a mini question if you can just conjure up images of his movies in your head has he ever been a very stylish flashy director even when doing like art house and stuff no not really mm. he's very he's very much a set scene he's very much as you say floaty gentle camera work um there are a lot of scenes in general sun where you'll see kim dohan and whoever else walking off into the distance and there'll maybe be smoke rising and the camera watches them go that sort of scene is really in contact if you if you look at again chung yang or sapionje there are vistas where you see a family moving across and the camera will just pan and follow them as the music plays and they'll go off into the distance to the next scene. It's all very art house, very gentle, but very, very confident. And I, I love that about him. I love it. The fact that there's no jump scene here, jump scene there. The most you get in a general sun is a scene from directly above when two characters are fighting. Yeah, essentially the action scenes, uh, that's when the movie springs to life in terms of uh, style, but it's uh, not in this uh, shaky, unclear way. Mm -hmm. or anything. In context, shoots action really, really well. It really does, yeah. If he was ever invited to Shore Brothers during his career, I think he would have done well working with action directors because he comes from that mi mindset, you know, but maybe maybe he was not that action as much action and feel in the eyes of Shaw Brothers because uh, there are, they eyed talents. I'm sure he was asked at some point. I'm sure he was. Um, I don't know. I, I just, I, I love his action because you feel like you're a part of it because you're not buffered here, there and everywhere. It's almost like you're there watching the event with the onlookers. I, and I love that. It feels more immersive to me because of it. It's kind of fun, you know, that the, uh, this isolated, uh, we're very isolated in the movie. We don't get any, uh, obviously, not a lot of grand vistas and a lot of trips over to Japan and other cities. But even within this seemingly very village-bound setting, the, the gangs are these, you know, 
classy looking gangs, you know, they're they're not street thugs, you know, even Kim Dohan at one point, you know, is very much dressed up, you know, in leather and in a hat, which uh, seems out of place, but I, I suppose that's very true to uh, the story too, that uh, the this is how the gangsters looked even, um, you know, even when standing outside the cinema and kind of making sure everything is uh, on the up and up, you know. You know, and I guess I, I they were so important i don't know if the, the film says that much about the it doesn't say that much about the outer problems that they were having with the japanese there's a flash here of children not eating there's mm -hmm. the the women who have had to go and work in a hostess bar to make money etc etc but it's all so centered in genre that they look at these gangsters as as their saviors as the protectors and they're almost well-dressed because they're respected characters. And, I mean, if you take Kim Doan, I mean, this is probably inadvertent, but it struck me on a rewatch a couple of days ago that he starts out as just a little, you know, ordinarily dressed kid trying to get work in a cinema. Then he inherits the black leather jacket. A couple of scenes later, he inherits the hat. Mm -hmm. As he moves up, moves from being leather to being very well-dressed, lighter grey. And when he eventually takes over the whole of the the group, I guess, mm -hmm. he's at the front of everyone dressed in white. And it's almost like idolization. It's almost like he's moving towards being more and more angelic as the film goes on, more and more looked up to as the saviour of the people. Um, as I say, it's probably inadvertent. It's probably just one of those things, but that change from dark to light to light to white really hit me. The wardrobe choices, choices are interesting because uh, I feel that it's almost conscious by the designer to make, especially the leather look, look a little bit out of place on young Kim Dohan. Mm. But, mm. you know, later on in the film, he looks more confident and believes in his leadership and kind of the wardrobe starts reflecting that a little bit more. Uh, he's not doing it for a gag, like look at him, he can't dress well or anything. But it's it's uh, I personally like the latter look, if anything. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and it's all at point. It kind of feels like there's a lot of characters and areas being talked of, but it's all basic turf war clearly conveyed when all is said and done. So it never ventures into like who is him, who is that having conflict with who, and where does that character come from? It never ventures into that, but it feels like in the beginning, like, okay, there's a lot of things going on here, but Im Quantec follows like a basic core when all is said and done, so we never, like, lost to anything. Do, do, do you know, by the way, or do you have, a, like, a sense of... You remember the propaganda film that they watch in the cinema? I think it's a propaganda film that has a, a, li a live reading as uh, they watch, uh, watch it in the cinema. That looked to me uh, like they did it for the film. They created that black-and-white uh, uh, movie within the movie in the film uh, I, I, I thought that was cool but what's your take on that i've got i've got two things to say about that because that sort of hit me quite heavily as well i assume the the actual film they show may have been created i doubt it was something else that was taken it may well have been but i didn't recognize it, look, it, it. looked good though it looked good like it uh, looked good because because i wasn't sure the thing the thing that struck me was those little sections that sort of without saying anything they tell you about korea in the 1930s straight away um a couple of years ago there's a, a really 
for a while was considered the oldest surviving Korean film called Crossroads of Youth, which was 1936, 37. Um, it's turned out that it's now they find another older one by the by. Um, but they did a special screening of it down in London where they set it up the way people would have seen things at the cinema when it was released in the 30s. Oh. And they had the the film, the silent film showing, they had a pianist there, and they had the little narrator sitting at the side actually saying the dialogue, acting as men, acting as women, mm. his voice going up and down. And as you watch that little scene, that's exactly what people that went to the cinema in Korean cinema in the 30s saw. They saw a man sitting, making women's voices and making men's voices yes. and almost making jokes as they go through. It's it's such a different way of looking at a film. I, I've never experienced anything like it in my life. And seeing that in in A General Sun, you just think, God, I wish everybody that was watching this could then go and watch a film like this so they could see how exact this is. Um, it's exactly what Korean cinema was back in those days. Talking a little bit about the action here, it's it's. Uh, I noticed that um, my initial grade of the action was like, well, it's Korean cinema. Their their forte is not action, you know, but they, they are nicely rooted. Their brawls and they they don't look overly choreographed, and they're over quite quickly because again, Kim Do Han was a one puncher kind of kind of guy. Uh, but the things it builds really nicely throughout the movie, and even towards the end, there is some impressive um, acrobatic feats by the actor himself. It looks like uh, Park uh, Park Sang Min. It it really is a, a, an aspect that they managed to focus on, shooting it very clearly uh, with you know editorial flair and with punch and power, and obviously in contact likes to use the uh, establishing. Uh, uh, overhead shot, and uh, it's it's really a good aspect of it. The action is uh, drives the movie home in many ways too, because each fight feels really different. There's stakes that um, you know there's stakes uh, in them. Obviously, if uh, Kim Do Han would lose some uh, at some point in the movie, the Japanese would take over, and Jong Ro would Jong Ro would essentially fall. Yeah. Um, so it's. Um, it's really well made. It's really well made, and it, you know I'm not uh, a, a, like a, a cynical Hong Kong cinema like elitist or anything where no one else can do it. But I didn't expect it to be that good, judging by the early scenes. But I think uh, mm. in Quantech might have uh, designed them that way to be a uh, little, little bit less, uh, a little underwhelming even. And then by, by the end, when he's you know really the great fighter that he is, that then then they're a spectacle, uh, and an impressive spectacle too. And and I think that that works from a, a gangster point of view anyway, because you know anybody that's not into gangster films sitting down to watch what they believe is going to be a gangster film are almost going to have their their necks cringed waiting for the oh here it goes. Um, and the great thing about a general son is that it takes you in gently. There are fights, but as you say, you know it's it's one shot, it's done, and it's only as it progresses. It almost leads you in. To, to allowing the, the the fight to take place, the, the real acrobatic fights to take place. And that sort of, that's going to appeal to a lot more people than your average, oh, here's a gangster film. Here we go. Fight, 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 fight for 
20 minutes at a time. And it, it's it's cool too because we follow the characters' growing confidence in uh, picking apart the dynamics of the fight. And at one point, he practices u- uh, judo uh, before a fight just to kind of prepare himself. And he's uh, he's he's ready for that part of uh, the leadership, you know, and ready to live up to his um, to what is one of his you know prime uh, rumors and reputation. Uh, so I. I that that uh, would work in kind of action cinema fans. That this is a guy who's just has it in him, and uh, can analyze uh, a fight li- like you read about. Uh, and it's uh, it's good. And all, all the movie, uh, the entire movie is well paced. I mean, it's a uh, merely a one hundred, uh, nearly one hundred and ten minutes. I think uh, the storytelling drive is done well, but the, but but there's no like okay. I'm gonna give my grade right now because I I know it's gonna be awesome. I, I it's one of those like it's building quite nicely. I like this, and as I said, by the end it really starts to make sense. Like the circle is formed, um, so in context, it's not making a lot of noise as such in terms of um, really driving home that this is an awesome movie. Look at how awesome it is, and by the end you're gonna think it too. Like it's it's, it's uh, just telling the story and then not um, not drawing attention to himself. Uh, as well, and what I like too, and this is actually a theme, slight theme for going by the books, slight theme, that because it's so short, uh, he can also afford to do the transitions very quickly, and then by transitions I mean when he's like slowly growing in in status in the gang. Uh, there's no ceremonies, there's no yeah, yeah. voiceovers telling like um was promoted now. It's it it just it. It just happens. Exactly. And there might be argued to be stuff missing, but you still get it. You know, you fill in if you think there's spots missing before you, you can fill that in easily. So there's no, there's not even a card saying like two months later, this happened, you know, or, or whatever. And no voiceover, as I said. So development has taken place and it's easy to grasp where Kim Dohan is at uh, that point. If you're not good at that, you can lose an audience very, very quickly. But he is, you know, I mean, he's, He's a, a master at it, and yes, you. I agree. There are things that they could have had that explained a little bit more, give a little bit more context of where they are. But he's so good at what he does that it just sort of speaks for itself. Within a couple of minutes of having moved, you're like, "All right, here we are," etc., mm. etc. Et and I mean, the same goes for other aspects, even aside from the the gangster, the moving forward. If you look at the the sex scenes, for example, the nudity, there's there's a couple of fairly strong nude scenes, considering this was 1990 and considering how much censorship there still was in Korean cinema, him getting away with it is almost because it's so passing. It's just there, it's not said, and it's moved on from. And maybe there's something to the fact that it is in contact and it is the story of a national hero that they almost allow it. But I think a lot's to be said for the not explained. They're just there. There's some sex scenes that are probably more than should be allowed, but there they're gone and we're moving on to the next section. But, but you know, still they make sense within the development. I, I mean, I'm, I'm going to sound like I'm making such ill jokes here, but think of the two sex scenes here they actually make sense in terms of where he was and the kind of leader he's becoming the first sex scene he has and i think is his first sexual experience ever uh he's done uh, quite quick you know a few seconds and he's done and the latter sex scene 
it's him making love to this woman and it uh, is not over quick and he's uh, it sounds like it's a stupid parallel to make but within the movie it kind of works like now he's ready kind of to take that leadership mantle and go with it uh, but you're exactly right it's 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 not a stupid comparison to make at all. It's exactly the right comparison because that's exactly what it is. Um, it's, it's beautifully done and, and, you know, well said. Because their interaction, those two characters' interaction, there, there's some important passages before where he he expresses a worry that I don't have anything, I'm poor, I can't bring anything. And she says a very simple thing, and it's a beautiful piece of writing, that you don't win the hearts of the people with money. Yeah. And that, that's a parallel to how the Japanese gang is being led, you know, because they're given stuff, you know, your know, businesses, and and I can't give anything to them. But I, I think that's it's a very beautiful line, and um, and the sex scene kind of just uh, fits in. It's for once, it's story driven sex, you know. And it, uh, and you're right, it's uh, it's not like a nip slip uh, here and there, you know. There it is. There's the nudity, you know. There, there's the butt cheeks and there's the breasts. And as I said, for 1990, it, it made me go, whoa, because of the year, because of, of all the censorship he knows there. And he just, he was allied. Um, and I think that goes back to saying, look, this is Imquantech, this is Kim Do, and this is, this is important. This is what it is. And it's sort of pleasing throughout the movie to see Kim Dohan, the character, do well, you know, doing good for the community, for for the Koreans. And that doesn't make it a, this uh, vile propaganda piece or anything just because it's versus the Japanese gang or anything. Uh, but but there is an interesting point brought up. Uh, I, I love that counterbalance. Uh, the, the, the gangster life is still the gangster life, but they're not vile gangsters. But at one point you see... A uh, character who is uh, one of the husband, uh, the husband of one of the prostitutes, uh, burst in, and he's a philosopher and educated man, and he's like distraught because he realizes this world, from his perspective, is one that you have to sell out to gain a footing, and an education is not an advantage in this world. Yeah. But but having said that, they don't paint the gangster life as this heavenly thing or anything, but within the context of the Koreans being oppressed and the, the Japanese dominance over Korea and Japanese dominance possibly over this area. That small section where the husband uh, is uh, talking of all of that, it's important and kind of grounds the movie too that um, they are gangsters after all. Yeah, totally. It's funny though, Park Sang-min is not um, an intimidating presence uh, by by design, you know, he's not a big guy and he's not a masculine guy or anything, but we believe no. his skill. This thin kid, and he looks like a kid throughout the movie, uh, it serves the character well, his look, the actor's look, uh, and it's all the more pleasing to see him do well and all the more pleasing to see him have the fight in him. And it's believable, too, that this is just something that just is in him. It's not explored, probably, until that first moment where we see it. Uh, he just has the power in him and leader instinct, as it turns out, and um, it, it's it's kind of pleasing and um, entertaining to follow that journey. I mean, that, that, that's the key point too. It's actually very entertaining to follow the journey to to see him go from one place to another place, and it's believable in the hands of Park Sang Min, who's I, I assume this was either his first movie or was one of his first movies because he did get a Best New Actor award. Yeah, it was his, it was his first, yeah. 
and but he but he's excellent, and I'm sure he'll be excellent in the other two movies. Uh, I assume he plays at least most of uh, Kim Dohan. I mean, I don't know if they do a super old age kind of thing in one of the movies, but uh, uh, I, I assume he plays him uh, almost all all throughout these movies. So. Yeah. Uh, really, you, you could talk of more action beats, uh, but uh, I think uh, you, you're going to have to discover some for yourself. But uh, again, it's a very skilled and sharp action movie. Uh, but when all is said and done, this is the first piece of his journey. And I got worried a little bit towards the end. I'll try to keep this as vague as possible. It's not super spoilery, but I do want you to, to discover this movie by, by yourself. I was worried about in-context structure where he flashbacks really towards the end of the film, to Kim Dohan's days as a beggar, you know, and uh, not, not just a youth, but uh, a kid. And you wonder, like, wouldn't this be placed before all of this? Okay, but why that worked is when, I, I can probably spoil this, uh, Kim Dohan is not very aware of his father's uh, uh, contributions in the eyes of uh, people, but he finds out a lot of it towards the end which parallels and mirrors his own development at that point, which is why I think the final cap on this first part is very beautiful, because you, uh, it's sort of well-timed, as it turns out, that he finds out of his father's accomplishments when he's learned so much about himself. Then he can sort of understand where, what his father was doing, too. And, um, yeah, that, that's what kind of made, you know, go back to my quick opinion, that's when I realized that I really liked this movie, that that beat was in there, um, uh, that piece of dialogue, that piece of story about his father. I, I, I sort of agree with you with the, the little thing going back to when he was a kid. To me, it did feel that, well, why isn't that in a different place? But I think it goes back to the whole not having to explain, not having to say. He just puts that little scene in, nothing said, and the following scenes then make utter sense because you've just witnessed him as a kid and seen where that's going to lead to. Um, I think that's sort of why you put it in at that point. It does feel a little bit not out of place, but maybe it could have been elsewhere. But I think overall it it, it works because it's there. And, um, you know, it, it kind of brings up the point, brings home the point that there's no shame in humble beginnings because of where Kim Dohan is seemingly going. Uh, I mean, I, I never got the impression that he was uh, this uh, controversial political figure that a lot of people hated. And I'm, I'm sure people did hate his politics, but it seems like it's, um, you know, and I will go through the other movies, but it seemed like he wasn't this. Um, vile politician either. He's, he certainly wasn't a, a vile gangster, so it seems sort of... Um, you know, he, he's uh, revered for a reason, surely. And uh, it's not like history has like scrubbed away a lot of bad things. It's, it seems like uh, he's uh, admired for a reason. I, th- I think overall he was admired for for who he was and for what he did. Was there... I mean, I, I never touched upon this. I might as well do it right now. Uh, what, is there kind of clear that In Quantec was planning a trilogy? after all of a sudden done, or was it kind of spurred by the success of the first? No, I think he had a full idea of telling the story of Kim Duan's life. Um, whether it was going to be in more than one film or a trilogy, I'm not sure. Um, General Sun was specifically the first part of a longer story, so that he could split it into segments that, that finished off, that told a section of his life, before he moved 
to a completely different section of his life. I don't think this was set as, let's tell the story of Kim Doo-an as a, a young man growing up. Oh, it was really successful. Let's carry it on. I think it was set up beforehand. I think Im Kwon-tak had an idea to tell his life story, however many movies that took. It does end really well, though. I mean, if you never saw more of General Sun, you know, two and three, it's not, you know, you would survive without the other two. It's not a cliffhanger thing. It, it ends really, really well. But uh, still, you are curious about war, where it's going. And ironically, he's, he's, him and his part of his gang are walking away in the final shot. And uh, there's some other stuff there that I won't uh, reveal. But uh, so they're headed somewhere and uh, to General Sun, too, in this case. And uh, pr- presumably all of this was shot um, uh, almost all at the same time, you know, rather than uh, take a break for a year or two. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, it goes back to the M contact doing, you know, up to eight movies a year. He he goes in, he films, he does, he finishes. Really, buddy, that's the end of my notes. Anything you want to add personally to this discussion? The only one last thing I that struck me straight away was how beautifully the two main characters offset each other. You know, you talked about how Kim Doo-an, Park Sang-min, is a wiry little guy who you wouldn't think could fight his way out of a paper bag, and he's just got this power to him. And you compare him to the Japanese Yakuza boss, Shin Hyung-jung, and he's he's a bruiser. He's a huge guy, <laughs> um, overpowering completely from the first scene he's into the last and I think the offset of this little guy, this kid David versus Goliath if you like, really worked and I think the the two characters offset each other perfectly, you know, small wiry and full of passion versus big bruiserish and out for self-serving needs I guess it's still a sense of honor in between fighters in the film, which I appreciate. It's not a very bloody film. It's certainly not a high bo- body count in this movie either. It's uh, mm. uh, even, you know, uh, opposing sides and opposing fighters, obviously, um, do come at it with a sense of honor most of the time rather than being backstabbers or anything like that. I, I think I think that's the whole thing about the film. It's just, it's about an honorable man who happened to be a fighter and a fighter for good rather than a, a money-grabbing gangster. Even though he was a gangster, you, you know what I mean. Uh, okay, then. So as for availability, the General Sun is free to watch on the Korean Film Archive YouTube channel, and we'll link specifically to the movie. Obviously, you can search its uh, it, the title in English, and it'll pop up. And it is presented on there in good quality widescreen and with optional English subtitles. So uh, go get it. There was a DVD out there of the entire trilogy, that I, I assume uh, Korean film arc have had uh, something to do with as well. And uh, if you have that DVD or can't find it, uh, I believe Im Kwantek does uh, commentary for all three movies. So if you can understand Korean and uh, are into that uh, stuff, uh, they produced some extras for these movies as well and took care of them, you know, and uh, not to, not just dump some old masters on, on DVD and uh, and, uh, and ship them out that way. And uh, hopefully we'll get the General Sun 2 and 3 on that YouTube channel eventually. They are a bit harder to find because, number one, they're not there, and number two, those DVDs are out of print, and if they turn up, I don't think they're necessarily cheap either. 
And so, so we'll see if we can find those in the future. But in the meantime, let's uh, take a break and uh, we'll, uh, we'll go to something complete, now for something completely different. <laughs> you know, going by the book from 2007, uh, not, you know, I'm sure you can draw some kind of comparison and straight line from the general sum, but not really. It's a, it's a, it's a comedy. Uh, we're talking a comedy from 2007 and uh, one of my personal favorites uh, since a year back and that's why I picked it. So, We'll talk of that after the break. Welcome back, and the second review of this What's Korean Cinema is Going by the Book from 2007, a plot from Wikipedia. Jung Do-man, played by Jung Jae-young, is a low-ranking traffic cop whose tendency to do things by the book sometimes gets him in trouble, such as when he pulls over his new boss, newly instated police chief Lee Sung-man, played by Son Byung-ho, and issues him with a traffic ticket. Though surprised and annoyed by the unexpected find, the police chief has bigger problems. The town of Sampo has been hit by a string of bank robberies, and to reassure the public, he decides to carry out a realistic drill which will demonstrate the police force's capability. Doman is chosen to act out the part of the bank robber, robber but with his usual uh, fastidious attention to detail, he sets out to commit the perfect crime. So this is actually a remake of a 1991 Japanese movie with the English title Bang, uh, directed by Sadaki Haginiwa, and is the feature debut, um, the Korean movie that is, of Ra Hee-chan. And this is a director with only this movie and 2011, 2011's Mr. Idol on his resume. So, Paul, what is that to say what is that that you know, and what is that to say about the Rahi Chan at this point? I mean, is Mr. Idol another good one? It's watchable. Huh. That, that's all I'm going to say about Mr. Idol. It's it's it goes on the whole popularity of K-pop. It's about a group of disparate individuals that are brought together to make a you know an idol band. Um, it's enjoyable. It's certainly nowhere near going by the book. Do, do we know anything bi- bio- biography-wise about Rahi Chan, or is just a director that has appeared and has made two movies? Out of all the directors you research or you find out about, he is the mystery guy. There's there's just nothing. Um, he did going by the book in 2007, co-written by Jiang Jing, and let's have a look. Lee Gyobok, who also wrote Mr. Idol, so I assume that's why he got drawn back in to direct it, but there's just nothing of him anywhere. No biographies, no no information at all. He is the mystery man who's made two movies. Maybe something that came out of the Jiang Jin camp, you know, a, a, a talent that was kind of born and bred uh, from the Jiang Jin camp. I'm pretty much assuming it can't really be anything else. I'm just deeply surprised that there's not even a little bit more about him you know even even short film directors you'll find 
biographies and backgrounds on you know KMDB and whatever else, and there's just nothing on chat. You know, there's nothing, nothing on them at all. But uh, therefore, we are going to talk of the movie's uh, co-writer and producer, uh, Zhang Jin. And, and that's a name that has come up on this show and this uh, multiple times. And this is a man who had titles on his resume that reads film director, theater director, playwright, screenwriter, film producer, actor and TV personality. And if we start with his, um, you know, his art, his creativity and what he likes to write, you know, he favors quirky character and humor, but also social observations and we've certainly seen that in the movies that we will mention in a little bit but early on Jiang Jin had dreams of being a musician but seeing his first play in high school changed that ambition from music to stage instead and he acted extensively in school plays he majored in theater studies uh, subsequently at the Seoul Institute of the Art and subsequently joined the writing team of the variety show Good Friends in the mid 90s I just love a name like that you that's not a show about like the Holocaust or anything. Like good friends, you know, you 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 can you become happy and jolly going into a show like that. Pretty much. Yeah, and he had his own segment on there called Hollywood Message that featured uh, famous scenes from some of the most popular Hollywood films showing in theaters um, at the time. They'd make parodies of them and add like silly pop-ups and uh, mix scenes from different films together to form this bizarre, unique collage of images. So it was kind of um, not uh, formulaic. It doesn't sound like um, the, that segment. And, but it, it became quite popular. It created a rise in viewership, uh, that segment, um, and uh, claimed writing for the stage followed, including Clumsy People, which he wrote during military duty. Uh, but um, he segued into film, uh, Jiang Jin. Uh, his first movie script was the 1995 drama comedy A Hot Roof. Uh, both uh, nominated an award, awarded feature, and he continued to build on his reputation as uh, one because he, it, people noticed him. Uh, you know, I see he became known as one of the most brilliant theater directors in Korea, South Korea, uh, via his unique scripts. And as Wikipedia says, his characters come off as real, even in surreal situations. And I can certainly see that in some of his movies, even in Going by the Book. So. Um, there you go. Uh, he made his directorial debut with the 1998 comedy The Happenings, uh, and uh, he mixed this with further stage work. You know, he's a guy who definitely didn't, didn't want to abandon the stage just because movies were looming now. And uh, he formed within uh, during this time the theatre group Suda that featured regulars, including uh, regulars from movies that, that we know from movies now, including our Castaway in the Moon and Going by the Book star, uh, Jong Jae Young. And Jang Jin's second film, The Spy, started to further solidify the Jang Jin style, if you will. You know, all the audiences started to recognize and started to desire the style, if you will. And since it pops up fairly often in discussion, uh, his movie Guns and Talks, must have been a fan and a crowd pleaser. But uh, I've heard varied opinions of it as well. I haven't seen it. So if you just stop right there, what's your general uh, view on the Guns and Talks? Guns and Talks is good for what it is. It's certainly Jang Jin. It's, it's not his best. Um, and I sincerely hope Third Window Films aren't listening to this because they released it in the UK. Um, <laughs> it's, it's a good film. It's got his quirky elements. It's a little bit too generic gangster for me, but that but then I'm just I'm not you know I'm not a huge gangster 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 fan. Um, I think the 
there are a lot of Jangian films that I adore and a lot that I like more than Guns and Talks. But if you're going to look into his work, it's it's worth checking out. There are certainly elements that are, are specifically him, um, and it's very watchable. Okay, and uh, on a roll now, by now, mixing movies and theater, he formed his own production company, Filmit Suda, in 2000, and they're the uh, uh, production company behind uh, Going by the Book as well. But despite the theater and film success, you know, it was a rocky start. Uh, for instance, 2003's A Letter from Mars, which he wrote, flopped. And the company future seemed shaky at that point, but they were able to keep at it, and Filmit Suda struck gold, critically and commercially, when... Jiang Jin wrote a movie adaptation of his play Welcome to Dongmak Gol, which was released as a movie in 2005 and is obviously an excellent, excellent movie that we've covered on this show. Uh, that's the drama comedy about a village who's not aware of the South and North Korean conflict and uh, their lives are changed uh, because of that. And it's a very quirky and uh, funny and emotional film. Very Jiang Jin. I, I've come to recognize the style too, a very droll Quirky, uh, quirky style. Uh, Jiang Jin continues working. The company is still around, and uh, he has even loosened like the creative leash on himself a little bit, I suppose, by because he's the, he he kind of probably made it a point that if I write it, I'm gonna direct it, uh, and I don't want uh, any material that I didn't create. Uh, but he has directed material on stage that he didn't write himself, so that, that's a sign of good development in a creative mind. Uh, um, further directorial works includes uh, Good Morning President and latest at the time of recording, if I'm not mistaken, is 2014's Man on High Heels. Uh, so um, is, is that the latest as far as you know in your estimis- estimation, Paul? Yeah, very much so. Again, it's going to be one of the ones showing at this year's London Korean Film Festival. Um, and uh, considering the title and what you assume it's going to be, I would have no interest in it except it's Jang Jin and I think it's going to be worth the look. It, it has to be. It's 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 him. He's quirky. He he's always worth taking a look at. He was a TV personality, as I said, and they, you know that was good friends. You you'd think only, but no no no. He Jang Jin has even kept busy by serving as a judge on the first and second seasons of Korea's Got Talent. So I gotta ask you, do you know if he's a dick on the show? <laughs> I, I actually, whenever I find out that he was doing it, I hate reality TV. I really do. I detest it. You know, anytime I go home to visit my family, they've got the X Factor on, they've got this on, and it drives me insane. Can, but, I, go? can I go now? <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, can I turn it over? Can we watch something Korean? Um, but because I knew he was involved, I was just interested to see what he's done. And I've only seen a couple of little segments, um, but I was I was quite surprised. There was one singer who, before they did their thing, um, told how dark and horrible their life had been. You know, the standard X Factor thing um, where, you know, oh, my life's been terrible. This is this is my only way to blah, 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 blah. And by the end of it, Jiang Jin was in tears. Oh. There were tears streaming down his face. Um, the other section I saw was a, a group doing a, a traditional Pansuri remake of a a really famous K-pop tune in the last couple of years. Mm-hmm. And he was utterly supportive. He was deeply nice to them, said they had huge talent, was very, very moved by it. Didn't seem like a dick at all. He seemed 
very un-Simon Cowell, he seems. Good, good, because they, those shows kind of, uh, that's why I don't like them. They just kind of require that someone is uh, comp- is mean. And I don't like that they're mean to the guys and the girls. So, uh, so I, that, that's why I turn off because of that reason. But I have no interest watching the, those kind of shows anyway. But it's, it's such a fun, like... Jiang Jin is big enough, you know, to uh, big enough of a personality uh, in the eyes of the general public that he can get on Korea's Got Talent, you know, without it, without it being like totally alien or anything. I just think it's quite nice that you know someone with talent can go on and appreciate others' talent, which is exactly not 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 like this cynical uh, cynical uh, atmosphere. So, uh, well, you know, it's very easy for the Simon Cowells of this world who can't actually do anything to sit and diss other people doing things. So um, from what I've seen, he seemed very genuine and certainly not a cynical, dismissive dick. Mm -hmm. Excellent. Good Good work, Jiang Jin. Also, he directed the first three seasons of Korea Saturday Night Live and uh, served as host of their version of The Weekend Updates. So um, he likes keeping busy and even on uh, Korea's SNL. So there you go. If you haven't seen clips of that, Paul, I, I'm sure you'll you want to rush out to YouTube to see um, if uh, if there's uh, any comedic talent there. Because um, if you're going to lead a weekend update, you you got to um, you know you're you're the face of the segment. Uh, you got to deliver. Go- going back to what I mentioned, like the Jiang Jin style. I mean, the question is uh, is number one, is it appealing to you? And has this meant you know through his filmography, whether as director or writer, like classic upon classic from the man and the production company, is like a very excellent output. You know, from my point of view, yeah. I mean, I I completely relate to everything he does because I love his his quirky offbeat stories. I love his take on things, um, and as we know, uh, Jung Jae Young um, is in Gone by the Book. He's in Welcome to Dong McCall. He's in a lot of Jiang Jing films, and they fit together like a hand in a glove because one is as quirky as the other. One makes their their best performances by being off kilter, by being just a little bit eccentric without saying they're eccentric. Um, they they work really well together. Um, I'm a big Jiang Jing fan. Um, as I say, Guns and Talks slightly less so, but in the main, phenomenal and possibly my favorite of his. I don't know. Welcome to Dolmen Hall. Mm. Yeah, it's a good choice and a good starting point over here too for to see people who can, uh, personally can uh, you know like that mix because it's a quite a uh, contrasting moods there. It's a very silly film and it's also a very serious film film too. But uh, it kind of. Uh, it's an effortless balance there. But yeah, let's uh, talk a little bit again by Lee, uh, about the lead, uh, Jong Jae Young. Yeah, we, we talked and gushed about his actor, obviously, through uh, uh, discussions on Welcome to Dong Makol and Castaway on the Moon. And uh, I, I became an instant fan, personally, uh, through that first role and certainly Castaway on the Moon. And he's one of those few actors that I encounter. It's not a whole lot of them. I, I love many actors, but uh, there's few actors that just does it for you that you'll seek out any random work that they're they're done and any random work that they're gonna do uh, regardless if it's big or small and he's also this like chameleon like actor like not hiding behind a lot of obviously makeup and costumes but it's not always easy to recognize him 
instantly. Like, especially Castaway on the Moon, he's uh, just uglied up like you read about, and obviously he grows a big beard and long hair, but he's a bit of a chameleon, and I, it's delightful, like the fresh ways uh, that he, he tackles each new experience with. Uh, there's, a, there's, a tool, there's a skill set there and tools that are just uh, kind of marvelous and inspiring. Uh, so, but, the, but you know, in short, again, he appeared in minor parts in movies uh, earlier. He eventually became part of the company that uh, Jiang Jin surrounded himself with, uh, both on stage and film. And the first prominent role came in the mentioned uh, Guns and Talks by Jiang Jin, where he played one member of the central quartet of um, assassins. Uh, but furthermore, he played a cruel minded hustler in No Blood, No Tears. And uh, some audiences kind of probably thought that he was this like tough, intense character on screen. And uh, uh, so they maybe didn't know of his kind of eccentric stuff, but his career apparently further blew up through the performance in the the big movie Sil Mido, or Mido, uh, where he played a death row convict turned uh, soldier. So, so it sounds like this was a big commercial uh, hit, at least. Um, I don't know if it was a critical hit or not. Yeah, it was. I mean, it was a it was a huge film. It was it's a deeply important film. I still don't think it's his best film by far, but it's it's superb for what it is. Mm-hmm. Uh, but sticking to Jiang Jin was a good idea, and creatively uh, certainly. And he received acclaim for his performance in uh, Jiang's uh, romantic comedy *Someone Special*. And uh, Welcome to Dongmakgol Dong uh, blew up, as we said, uh, where he played a North Korean soldier with a lot of nuance and depth uh, brought to the table. And uh, this said performance in Gone by the Book about a cop taking a robbery drill way too seriously is uh, what we are discussing tonight. And he's the castaway uh, on an island that's just outside of the city in Castaway on the Moon. And uh, so it, 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 it always brings a smile to my face that it's not really Castaway because the city is there, but yeah. It's go see that movie for yourself and find out. And some of the 2014 output includes movies like The Fatal Encounter and Broken. So is that the um, released output or um, upcoming release output? Broken has just come out on DVD, I guess, a month ago. Um, Fatal Encounter's just been in the cinemas, so it's on its way. But both have been released. Um, Broken was, I think, the review before last on my site. So if anybody wants to look at his latest stuff, go have a look. Um, same thing again. Everything he's in has has something wonderful about it because he is a phenomenal actor. He is, without question, my favourite male actor. You know, like like yourself, for a male actor to make me seek out something he's done, it doesn't come that often. Whereas you know, female actresses, you just think, well, she's really good, I'll watch her, I'll watch her, I'll watch her. Um, uh, Jung Jae-young, easily my favourite actor, you know, even more than Song Kang-ho. Sorry, everybody, but he's just great. No matter what you see, it's worth watching because of him. You look back to 2011, he did G-Love or Glove, where he was a... <laughs> what is the title, as a matter of fact? Is it G-Love or is it Glove, as a matter of fact? It, it's, it's written Glove, but the G and the L are capital letters. And it's about it's about a, a down-and-out baseball player who gets in fights and gets drunk all the time, gets thrown off the team and has to go and teach a load of kids. And it sounds terrible. 
Um, and it is very predictable. It's like it Korea's is, Bad News Bears or something. Well, yeah, not far off, but he makes it far, far more than it should be. Um, he is He's phenomenal in it. Confessions of Murder, it's okay. It's a bit predictable. He's phenomenal in it. Um, as I say, Broken, this whole thing, as we'll probably say about going by the book, he has this thing where he'll be in a scene... And he'll just be staring at someone and you can almost see the cogs turning in his head before he suddenly switches on and does something. And in terms of broken, that's exactly what you get. You've got a standard story of a, a father whose daughter gets killed, murdered, raped, um, and he's left on a vengeance trip trying to find the killers. And it sounds so... We've seen it so, so many times before, but he goes from being an incredibly talkable, talkative guy until she dies, and then he goes into Jung Jae-young territory of just virtually saying nothing, and everything you get is from his expressions. It's phenomenal. Highly recommend it simply because of his unforgettable performance. Um, it is, in a way, predictable, but there are some surprises in there, and it's well worth a look. Do you think it fits in well with big productions um, too? You know, we see his kind of forte working with uh, Jiang Jin, uh, you think? I think he works so well with Jiang Jin because they're on the same wavelength. They're on that same, just a little bit quirky, a little bit funny without saying they're funny sort of thing. But he does work in whatever he does, um, you know, Confession of Murder was a, a really big movie, um, and his his role's much more straightforward, but he fits in perfectly. I mean, even even Moss, which I've already slagged off in this podcast, um, they've got him in a big latex mask to make him look old. Um, the the story is too long; it's very contrived, but he is exemplary in it. Which is a shame because you, you you'd think like oh, if the main actor is good and uh, the movie is going to be carried, but uh, there's a lot of movie to be carried, I suppose. In that, in the case of that, if we talk running time again, so totally. And the biggest problem with Moss is its length. If it was, let's face it, if it was an hour shorter, it would actually be quite a, quite a good movie. It wouldn't have been a movie, a Korean movie anyway. <laughs> well, yeah, fair enough, you know. So there you go. Uh, all righty, let's talk uh, going by the book. In my short opinion, and boy, is it short for once. What a perfect, droll, quirky little comedy. And I want to be this good if I ever direct a movie. So there you go. <laughs> That's my short opinion. What do you want to say in short about going by the book? I'm going to agree with everything you said. Perfect little film. Going into it, you think, oh, here we go. Very predictable. It's not going to be anything. But it, it serves that whole classic Korean cinema fish out of water thing, you know, the, the taking of a policeman, putting him in a robber role and he happens to be a guy who just lives by the book from the first second to the last. It works and the important thing for me is all the tiny, tiny little side segments from him and from the other characters um, that supplement the story. They're what make the story as good as it is. <laughs> I just thought of like spontaneously now, uh, um like a poster that would be so perfect for the movie, but possibly a bit too um, 
too outrageous for the movie. So uh, it only works if you've seen the movie, but you have Paul, so I'm going to describe it to you anyway. I would love for one poster to just be, you'll see the image of a girl sitting in the bank with a sign over her, uh, and, and you don't see the face of the girl, but the sign reads in Korean, and it's translated in English underneath, raped. Uh, that, <laughs> I, I out of the whole film, if whoever is listening to this and hasn't seen it, please, please, please go and see the film. That is one of the funniest gags in the whole movie, that sign that says raped. It's just, and <laughs> it goes back to the same thing, that the not to give any spoilers away, but in the lead-up to it, where they have an altercation, you know, Jang Jae-young looks at her for, what, a minute? Just staring. And you can see the cogs going. Then he does a load of press-ups, and you think, hmm, what? And then, raped. It's just perfect. It's those little moments that make going by the book so, so beautiful, so, so Jang Jae-young, and so, so superb. But uh, going back a little bit to, to the start of the movie, you know, even in this remote area, like, you know, working as a traffic cop, regardless of the people that uh, Jung, the character of Jung, encounters, uh, he's going to, I mean, he's a robot. That's what it is. He, uh, he's an excellent robot. You know, he's, he's following the book. He, but if you made an illegal left turn in the case of the incoming police chief, you know, he'll respect the crap out of the police chief. You know, he'll salute him. But he did make an illegal left turn. So, you know, it is a very, you know, sharp mood here that's established. You know, a dry comedic one. And you'd think that Jiang Jin's scripts would get repetitive. But this mood, you know, he's kind of a master of it. That It's just so effing funny. It's so fucking funny that, you know, and we got this establishment, quick establishment that this character is going to follow the book regardless of what anyone says, like if they try and argue with him, but he's our police chief and in a very quiet way, but he made a left illegal left turn. But he's our police chief. You don't need to ticket him. But he did make an illegal left turn. Like like he's very he's not a very vocal, like loud character that's gonna argue his case angrily. He's just uh, but he but he did. He totally did. <laughs> so uh and one of the early examples of this movie, Fry, its biggest strength, and obviously it comes from everybody, but it's established in the post-production uh, why this movie works, and it's the editing. The cutting from one, from setup to gag. And we'll try and give some examples without spoiling all of them, but for instance, here at the beginning, I love to, uh, when he arrives at the police station, the uh, chief, new chief, who's uh, Lee, the character of Lee, played by Son Byung-ho. Um, he arrives there and he's uh, meeting his uh, people he's going to work with and he asks everyone, oh, everyone okay, um, where do I pay this ticket? And everyone just kind of knows, like, oh no, I think, I think he's done it again. <laughs> and it cuts to you know, this um, uh, this character arguing, uh, Jung is standing beside him, quietly beside him, and this character is arguing with uh, administration probably that this ticket is doesn't need to be paid. And it's that, like, cut from whether I pay this ticket to them. You, you know, it's a time cut. And obviously now they had to rope him in and have to pull him in and, like to explain himself. But it's one of many magical examples of it's just... Uh, it's just so quiet, but so goddamn hilarious. These uh, cuts from 
setup of gag to gag. You know what I mean, Paul? There's tons of that in the bank, uh, including that sign, you know, cut to that sign. So it's literally created in the editing. The final gag is there in the editing. It's not on set, but it's there in the editing. Totally, totally. And in in terms of, of those little cuts, the other sort of cuts work to add to that, the whole little imaginings from his head of what what it would be like if it was a real robbery, you know, people being shot or, you know, et cetera, et cetera, and then cutting back straight to the real situation. You've got a gag that's been and gone, and you're still just looking at him, staring at people. It's just wonder- <laughs> It's just wonderful. I have a few examples, but I'll keep them sort of to the early sections of the film, you know, another one of those examples, because uh, uh, Rahi-chan understands this and is on board with uh, this uh, vision and probably has this vision that the police are obviously talking about uh, they have to better their image because they're not solving enough robberies and they're, they're, they're increasing. So when Lee has arrived at the station, they are talking about now we've taken every precaution to stop robberies. We know the pattern now, you know, which, uh, the various shifts are ex- exchanged. So we have manpower cut to the phone ringing and they're all kind of just realizing that it's probably happened again. And yeah. cut, cut to a reporter reporting on a new robbery. So <laughs> it's, it's, it doesn't draw attention to itself. There's no like, oh, no reaction. There's not even that. No loud reaction of any kind. And that is pitch perfect comedy to me because it's so matter of fact. It's so dry and cold and... I dare say it's perfect. I mean, it's just humor that works so well for me. I, I am an incredibly immature guy, so I, I love childish, loud, clownish humor. But when when this kind of dry, quirky humor is done well, then that is my favorite, you know? Yeah, I, I totally agree. And it's also short for a Korean movie, which makes sense, because can you imagine, Paul, if they extended this to 140 minutes, considering it's only set in a few locations yeah you just you couldn't there's no way well i say that but korean film could but thankfully it didn't um it's a nice short length it moves along nice nicely at a a perfect pace and it's all that's needed it's a 102 minutes or something like that and a few minutes of credit so 102 in total and and we're into like the um story set up quite quickly because doman jung doman is set up in the inefficiency in uh, the police department in terms of solving the robberies and um, um, setting up this constructive fake uh, robbery exercise. And it's done in 12 minutes. I think we're into the scenario in uh, 12 minutes. Uh, I'm glad that someone reasoned that uh, it should be short, you know, because it contains so few locations, as I said. Thankfully, also, for a Jiang Jin movie, I mean, if you look at, back at Welcome to Dong Makol, it's really dark and harrowing. This is uh, pretty much all light. Uh, no, you know, bloodshed or anything other than what you just said, that he imagines, you know, walking into the bank and shooting someone in the head, which is a pretty shocking image because we don't know if uh, what that is. You know, we, oh, my God, he's gone bonkers. You know, is he really going to rob and kill? Uh, but it keeps it light um, despite uh, which is uh, a, a fair and valid choice for, um, uh, for for the movie obviously but you do wonder and I wanna, wonder what your take is on this that throughout the movie we we kind of know that he, he's just doing his job I mean he's harmless but 
there is something there that's not quite on, but rather off. You know, he's so quiet and sort of one tone that you wonder if he's got some kind of like ADHD or if he's got Asperger's or because he's you know bound by structure and rules. He's not very emotional, mm. but. That, at the same time, doesn't mean a dark streak in the movie. But, you know, looking at his character, was that interesting at all to kind of find out if he's if he's off, if, if there is darkness there? No, very, very much so, from my point of view. I mean, I, I spent, the first time I watched it, I spent certainly a little bit of time anyway, sitting thinking, okay, he's he is a little bit off. Is he actually going to turn, turn this into a, a real robbery? And I think that question sort of kept me going along. It, it works because he is a little bit off. He has to be. And it gives that whole, that chance to, again, just, you see him standing there almost, excuse the phrase, but almost autistically mm-hmm. staring, trying to collate what's going on and what he's going to do next. And then it's sudden. Um, it works every time. And I love the fact that Every time there's a dark segment, something light will be brought in to just bring it back up in balance. You know, the whole thing where a guy gets shot in the head, 10 minutes later, he's up saying, no, you didn't shoot me in the head. And they actually watch a film of (laughs) where he held the gun going, yeah, look, he's pointing it at his head. And everybody's involved. Everybody's... You know, everybody's huddled up there at the monitor. Like, look at that. Look at that. Yeah, look, you did shoot him in the head. You're dead. I mean, it's just... It's, it's like a it's comedic wonderful. Stockholm Syndrome because they're all like the, the so-called hostages uh, are all like engaged too, like in terms of play. Some of them are, no, not all, but they're, they're, they're following the rules of the exercise too, like uh, at least in terms of that police officer that's placed in the bank. Maybe they don't like him very much. He's uh, kind of a loudmouth. Uh, mm. And uh, he said Jung's uh, superior too in actuality, but uh, yeah, he's the first one that goes. Rai-chan really effortlessly mixes those, uh, what goes on in his head, you know, the scenarios that he shot him in the head versus like the reality like those cuts uh, from fantasy to reality it's just so bizarre and absurd sometimes that is just um, wonderful and you keep snickering throughout the movie you know touches throughout the movie might not be fully designed as humor but the, the movie established this mood and style that just makes me snicker all throughout the movie that this is what they're doing this is a great cop that's also great at being a robber, and he's only doing it because they told him so, and and there and therefore he's doing it a lot, and uh, oh, like uh, he's doing the most utmost duty, and really serving the force. That that's what he's doing. He's he's wants the police force. He wants to help, and obviously he's not doing it to mess with them. That they didn't count on. That he's that good for debut movies. So effortless, and there's. You know, obviously, such clarity present here, which uh, I always admire in a debut director. That uh, this is, um, I, I'm, I'm envious of such skill, especially when it comes to quirky, uh, quirky humor. And uh, it's both hilarious and highly amusing, and you smile throughout the movie because Ra Hichan is nailing the mood. Exactly, and the one one of the things that struck me going through, I know it's not related in any way, but the way the things grab you in this as being chuckle-worthy and just the way you keep 
investing in it and sniggering the whole way through, regardless of whether something's specifically funny or not, hit me in the same way as Casamay Way on the Moon. Mm -hmm. the, the way those tiny little moments, they're just, you love the characters so much, it's so perfectly realized that it just drags you along and you just, you're happy to be there. You're, you're enjoying it from start to finish. Um, which begs the question again, why we know so little about this director because he's done a phenomenal job on a phenomenal script. Do you remember if it was like sort of high profile at the time of release? Or... It did well. Really? Um, yeah, I, it, it topped the box office the first week of release. It stayed there for the second week of release and I think its total was, was two million. Which, you know, if you take your average sort of takings apart from this year, which is just stupidly gone through the roof, mm -hmm. um, th those are pretty good takings. So it would have been, you know, top, certainly top 10 of, of the month, et cetera, et cetera. It did well, and quite rightly so, um, though it is lesser known than a lot of Jiang Jin related films, much less known. Part of it is a little bit challenging, this movie, because... Again, I'll keep it as vague as I can, but there is a he does mess up because he takes um, this exercise 100% serious. Uh, there is a surprise, uh, not at the end of the film, but and he kind of becomes shaky at that point. That I, 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 you know, he, he doesn't have he can't squeeze out the words when he's confronted. Uh, and he's probably not 100% in tune with emotions of others, it turns out. You know, he's, uh, that, that's why I think there is some kind of autism possibly going on there, regardless of mm. maybe Jiang Jin focused on it just mildly and let it be there somewhere for someone to interpret. I don't know. But uh, it's still, when all is said and done without spoiling it, it's part of him doing his duty. And he's self-critical, too, because he thinks the scenario isn't going as well as he uh, would have hoped there's some lack of realism in there. There's a wonderfully written example of the stage that his uh, mother comes to <laughs> the scene of the crime to speak over the bullhorn, like, son, don't do it. He's not satisfied with that. I, I won't spoil what he's not satisfied with. Uh, he Because at one point he, he gets to talk of his superior. He comes outside. And they pause the exercise, and he says to him that this was—I don't know if he said it when he came outside, but regardless, he said says later in the film that uh, the exercise is not real because this and this happened when my so-called mother approached me. You know, this would have happened instead. So, and they—they're they're just baffled. Like, what is he on about? But <laughs> I think they know that he's—he's he's probably right that they asked for real, that he's thinking real, but. Man, is he a pain. <laughs> like, they probably wanted this to be over in like 10 minutes. Like, arrive, and he'll walk out being caught. But he keeps it. What we haven't said, that this this lasts for hours. And it lasts into the nighttime as well. And, and also, the, 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 mainly, therefore, the, the locations are outside of the bank and inside of the bank. And the, the, the cutting between them works so effortlessly too i mean rahi chan is making a hostage a comedic hostage movie and it's 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 fairly works it has a drive to it and uh, and the lot is hilarious to like cried almost the, certain gags are loud like the cuts to certain signs uh, raped being one that is hilarious but mm. uh, I, I guarantee it's not in bad taste 
and uh, fainted is another <laughs> is a favorite yeah. sign of mine. She, she, that that lady is one of my favorite characters. She's she's phenomenal. She's wonderful. Because they do think it's very even some of the customers there in the bank and the workers they they complain that he's probably taking it too seriously. Initially, he hangs signs on them that says "tied up" because in the exercise in his mind, he's tied them up. And uh, all of that. Then one sign later reads, uh, fainted because she kind of steps out of line. And he uh, he's uh, going to slap her as a robber, but he doesn't. And that leads to Jong, one of the best physical pieces of acting by uh, by Jung, which is just awesome. <laughs> it's, it's, it's so bizarre what he comes up with as a character in that moment. Because he's not going to slap anyone. And he's not going to slap himself either, listeners. So he does something... Completely different. Completely different. Then you you can't predict that. Okay, cut to the sign reading fainted. So there you go. It has a little bit of uh, social observation in terms of uh, how the media works here, but I don't think the media are depicted in this horrible way. They're just having a field day because they're there and they're, they're asked to be there to cover this exercise, and the police are not helping their cause at all. So they're just. Re- Reporting what they're seeing, essentially, they're not, uh, you know, looking to exploit it because they don't need to exploit it very much. It's just presented before them all of these mess ups. Uh, so I think the media is getting a sort of a pause within this fictional comedic scenario that is the movie. You know what I mean? Or, or what's your take on like the media depiction? I think pretty much it gets a a free pass. It's it's there to essentially report on everything else i think the the ones that get the the worst hit are the police because no matter what they do they get everything wrong as well he may be the dynamite one the one that's going by the book the one that's taking things too far but every move the police make they come across as comedic fools from the hostage negotiator to the the snipers to whatever you name they are the fools rather than the main character. <laughs> I was just thinking of one moment that I didn't put in my notes because he, we have said that the character of Dorman Jung acts, uh, you know, he's quiet and he doesn't uh, shout or anything, but as part of being a robber, he does every now and again to play up the realness of it. He's, uh, uh, the reality of it is uh, interviewed on TV at one point, so uh, he... Uh, Go psycho uh, on uh, during the broadcast, mm. uh, which is a nice too because oh my god he might snap, you know for real. But he's that that's his choice within all of this. He's given like free reign to play it real, and uh, that, that's what he does. And it's uh, it's uh, not he, he, he doesn't got a, he hasn't got a mean bo- bone in his body. But as I said, there is some flaws in his thinking where real, you know, he could have gone for one hundred percent real. He kind of goes for one hundred and ten. Yeah. And it's 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 threatens for a little bit to be uh, dangerous and and even lethal. Uh, so, uh, but uh, yeah, it's 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 a it's a loving performance uh, though, and a, a, it's a good natured character. But you wonder after the movie ends if uh, he's uh, you know if he's even allowed back. <laughs> As yeah. a matter of fact, you know we won't spoil what happens during the end, right? but. Uh, He's revealed a lot of colors that his colleagues knew of that he's take he's going by the book, but this scenario must have revealed a whole lot of more things that are 
police psychologist would have a field day, you know, trying to untangle. So, but it, the, Jiang Jin isn't here to like make an observation on society and make a totally realistic greedy movie at the same time, or, or writing a, a totally realistic uh, greedy movie. It's um, it, 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 it's a bizarre kind of farce at points too, and it, it all it all, co- it all comes together like coherently too. And I love the fact that at the very beginning when he sat down and told that he's going to be the robber he he tells his boss that this is what's going to happen he actually says you don't want to do this <laughs> you might not want me to be the robber he knows exactly what he's like he knows that <laughs> he is going to take it too far and you know don't don't go there because i'm not going to stop and the police are just their own fault you know so i i love the fact that he heads it up and says look i'm gonna make your life a misery and they just accept it and he makes their life a misery it makes it beautiful and and obviously we, we should credit like uh, son byung ho as well as the police uh, chief who has to deal with all of this that uh, walks into the scenario confident and is then just kind of shattered at what he was warned about so uh he is he, a wonderful performance i've not seen this actor in anything else i just have a feeling that he um he can pull off uh, villains quite effectively quite effectively he is huge um he's been in almost as many films as jong jae young um he's he's one of those people that you recognize his face and you think what did i see him in a week ago um He's been in, in Spider Forest, Our Point, going by the book, obviously, Open City, City with Sonia Jin. He's been in The Good, The Bad and The Weird, which I don't remember him in, etc., etc., etc. He's doing two, three movies a year. Um, and his latest one is Tunnel 3D, which has just come out. Uh, so he's huge. He's one of those faces that's almost recognizable but he stays anonymous you think i know him he's really big and i can't remember who he is <laughs> and, and he doesn't make a lot of noise in the role as such he's so key for making this work like because he realizes how much he's messed up and uh, he's got a situation on his hand that he can't control anymore and it, it's a very like tempered performance too like it doesn't go over the top he's uh, very much yeah. he, he goes from like confident to to uh, have to deal with this like bizarreness that goes on around it because the characters obviously react to how bizarre the events are too so they're not part of this uh, bizarre world where it's expected that all of these mm. stupid stupid things will happen which is uh, which is kind of nice too but no no one is out of line in terms of no one is acting in their own movie here but anything it's just uh, it all coheres uh, becomes coherent uh, and uh, I, I can't find any flaws with it even like the ending has uh, some clever bits to it that means that you know the character of Jung he has not lost himself he's still sharp and he is uh, police officer meant for uh, duty, you know, he duty before yeah. anything else. And maybe at the end of the movie, he's learned a little bit more about how to deal with people, possibly. But um, I, I agree, and I mean, I love the fact that as you go through it, it's unpredictable enough that you're never quite sure what way he's going to end it. And it uh, it did keep me jumping. It did keep me wondering. It did keep me interested. And that's a lot to be said for. What's essentially a comedy hostage movie? It it just worked from start to finish. I think it's very inventive, and I love the ending. I have to say, 
Yeah, it's a, it might polarize viewers, the actual ending, but hey, it's a why not kind of thing, you know? Yeah. And it's a moment that might not have happened in reality as well, just, and I'll say nothing else. You know, another poster designer I just came up with, not uh, directed towards the ending or anything, but I would love for them to have done some kind of poster that just had one of the uh, uh, written things on, like, the uh, book that he shows the bank teller when he enters uh, the bank, like, quiet, don't get, al- don't get alarmed. Like, I would have loved for that to be, like, a very simple poster design, just that, you know, not him flip- flipping through it, but just one of the sentences from... His uh, like he's he's pasted in like uh, newspaper uh, letters in, into that uh, little book and uh, yeah. I agree. It, it, what a great poster! But even that's just perfect because the two little section booklets that he he takes, they just show the two sides to him. It starts with one with you know hello, don't make a sign, blah blah blah. When she doesn't do anything, he turns over to one that says, put the money in the bag, bitch. Yes. And, you, <laughs> and you just think, he's just so polarized from one section to another. It's just, it's beautiful. Doesn't one say, haven't you seen a robbery before? Like, he, yeah. he, he expected, like, that she probably would look at him kind of like, what are you doing? Why why aren't you talking to me? Like <laughs> Uh, yeah, it's wonderful. And uh, I thoroughly recommend it. And as for availability, the two-disc special edition from Korea is still in print. And I'm actually still waiting for mine from eBay because it's in print. You can get it from Yes Asia. But for a DVD, it was really, like, outrageously priced, even for a two-disc edition. And I'm, I'm sorry if I come off as cheap. But it really rubbed me the wrong way that um, it was, like, close to 30 US dollars for yeah, uh, not is. not a limited edition thing but a two disc special edition which will have unsubbed extras anyway so they're not no use for me personally the, the sad thing is over the last I don't know six months the prices of even single edition DVDs of older films have gone through the roof absolutely gone through the roof I mean I've been talking about Lovable, which is a a lovely little film that I actually want to own, and it's available still, you know. And you're talking British pounds, twenty three. Mm. So you take that up to U.S. dollars, you're talking forty forty fifty dollars for one single DVD, and you think not a Blu-ray, and you think hold hold on a minute. You know, these used to be a decent price. Yeah, 10, 15 quid I can cope with, but, um, and that's a shame. But it seems to be the way a lot are going. And even new releases are coming out, you know, they're easily 20 British pounds straight off. More, 22, 23. But the, but the eBay prices I found, even for a two-disc edition, they were very reasonable. They would have been, a, you know, a, a P or anything, but they, they were very reasonable. But I haven't received it yet, so I had to download disc one. Of the Korean special edi- Korean special edition to watch for this episode because I first saw it on the U.S. Netflix site and I may be in Sweden but uh, I have uh, and I pay for the Netflix service but I think region blocking is kind of BS so I have a th- I have a thing that uh, that I can jump through regions and U.S. Netflix used to have a deal with CG Entertainment for um, a handful of their movies maybe 15 or 20 including Castaway on the Moon and this that's how I first saw it but they're not on there anymore so that deal uh, expired by now so. seems a bit strange I'd, I'd like to I'd be interested to know why because it, it's a good deal it's a good setup for people to get access to CJ stuff 
and then and I thought like maybe they would transfer to somewhere like Hulu because uh, Criterion uh, Netflix had Criterion at one point, and I know that that's not necessarily a, a good comparison. The Criterion stuff ended up on the Hulu uh, site, and Hulu also has a lot of uh, Korean dramas because some of their like categories says literally like drama fever or something like that, and I think that's uh, uh, connected to Korea. So. Yeah. Uh, Hulu obviously um, they they welcome in a Korean um, catalog of some sort, but the CJ stuff um, it was not transferred anywhere else, uh, and, and it's a shame because I think they were streaming HD um, versions of the films too. Uh, it looked noticeably better on on Netflix, uh, going by the book. Yeah, so but hopefully a Blu-ray is uh, in the works, and uh, hopefully we'll get it. because I, I would gladly you know go from the DVD to a Blu-ray as well because I like it that much. Uh, by the way, uh, as per usual, the Korean disc has English subtitles too for the main movie, so that uh, they're not uh, they're not quitting that inclusion or anything. So, uh, but right, uh, we done. No- there's nothing announced for the next episode. So what we'll do after this episode is done is we'll start new discussions behind the scenes of what to do next, and the theme I sh- I'm sure will still revolve around something old or oldish uh, to something like personal favorite of mine or any of the hosts, uh, preferably newer. But uh, I'm always uh, welcome to, you know, change up the format. uh, And uh, it's it's important to me to highlight, though. Uh, So I'm not really interested uh, in... uh, you know, talking of the latest, hardest movies. So, you know, I, I might sound like a hipster, but I'm more interested in stuff that this is more of a voice and we have a voice how far it's reaching you never know but uh, uh, it's that too mixed with personal favorites kind of thing and uh, you you let you are educating me paul and you know on, on a serious note you and rufus are very much educating me and uh, making me find out more about directors that um are necessary kind of uh, for your basic knowledge about Hong Kong cinema, but the main thing is that they have become sort of favorites of mine, you know, movies and directors, you know, Chilson Mansu's director, Park Kwan Su, really interested. Obviously, in Kwan Tech, uh, the recommendations you stated earlier, gonna pursue them definitely. So good, it, good. it's working on that level too, um, on many levels. So uh, that's really nice to hear. And from my point of view, and I assume. Rufus's as well, it gives me a chance to revisit stuff that I haven't seen in a while and remember how incredible it really is, you know, it's almost like a reawakening so it, it it's a big thing for me as well. Excellent, excellent win, win, win for all, so there we go Indeed. So follow us on Facebook and what have you in terms of uh, what we'll be covering next on this uh, sporadic series of What's Korean Cinema. So um, let's uh, do the contact information again. And the show is on podcastonfire.com along with uh, all the other shows on Taiwanese Cinema and Hong Kong Cinema and Sleazy Cinema and what have you. Uh, and we also have bonus episodes on there that are exclusive to the website. Email us if you have any feedback, podcastonfire at googlemail.com. Join us over on Facebook, like our page, facebook.com forward slash POF network. Join the discussion and updates uh, on there, but mainly in the discussion group. You can find that by typing in Podcast on Fire Network in the Facebook search bar. And also look us up on Twitter and follow our tweets, twitter.com forward slash podcast on fire. My 
reviews are on so good reviews and sleazykvideo.com respectively I write about Hong Kong cinema Taiwanese cinema ninja exploitation and whatever I, whatever I like really I mean I have main reviews and then I have bite-sized reviews and the bite-sized reviews are usually any genre that you can think of so and I also do also do video reviews on the other site follow my tweets twitter.com forward slash so good reviews What's Korean cinema is on iTunes. Rate and subscribe and leave a comment if you have the time. We would very much appreciate it. And finally, stream us on Stitcher Radio. You can do that through their website, but also through the free application available to your iPhone, iPad, or Android. So go to the nearest app store and download it. Add What's Korean Cinema by searching for us. And uh, that'll be good. Thank you very much for your support. And you again, sir. You have may have one site, but you have many irons in the fire despite so. Ah, yes. Um, you can find me at hanglecelluloid.com. I'm on Facebook at facebook.com slash hanglecelluloid. On Twitter at twitter.com slash hanglecelluloid. There's a sort of a theme going there, isn't there? Visit the site, follow my tweets. Um, you know, interested in anything you guys have to say. And if, in terms of tonight, you happen to want to read the Imquan Tech interview, it's on the site, the review of Jung Jae Young's latest film broken which is well worth a look as well um it's on the side as well so have a look enjoy and thanks for listening to me and uh, you know if we can reach out to anyone the people that are arranging all these shows and the festivals in the uk bring over jung jay young i mean yes at, please at, at least one person will stand up there like yay fuck yeah and that, that'll be you <laughs> well yeah you know for the last four five years at each London Korean Film Festival, they hand out, you know, a, a questionnaire that you fill in. And every film I go to, even though they know I'm going to be at every one, <laughs> I fill one in and they say, who do you want to see at next year's festival? And for five years, I've written Lee Chang Dong, mm-hmm. Ye Jin and Jung Jae Young. And this year, I was told Ye Jin was coming. And then I was told she wasn't coming. Oh. So... um Really, over the next couple of years, please, 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 Korean film festivals anywhere in the world, get Jung Jae Young. At least, at least ask him, and then we'll know. Exactly. Because, because you never know. Some people might not be comfortable coming over and speaking publicly. You know, uh, if they're merely actors, maybe they're content with acting. You never know. It may, it may well be. I would just, out of all the actors there are, I think sitting down and having a chat with him would be incredibly entertaining. Why are you so awesome, John Jay? Well, exa- exactly. <laughs> Do you like pie? <laughs> I, I like this Irish guy. I, he's speaking my language. <laughs> I mean, for heaven's sake, John Jin, no, he's too much of a celeb to get over to London, you think? Or too busy? I think he's too busy. I think it comes down to the bit that he's doing so many different things at once and with all the reality TV things as well and I mean we go back to the whole we don't get enough actresses here and it's the same thing they're all involved in dramas they're all working all the time take a week off come and visit us treat you nice we'll give you pie (laughs) yeah we will we will we'll we'll ask you why you're awesome for heaven's sake valid questions in my book but anyway this was fun Paul thank you very much I've been Kennedy and with me was Paul Quinn so say bye buddy lovely thank you bye